Well, good evening. My name is David. I'm the campus pastor here at Church of the Island. If you're new here, we uh, have been going through a sermon series for the last six weeks. Today would be the seventh week, the end of our sermon series called Dear Church. And this series, Jesus inspired a letter to John. He told John, you get a pen, you pick it up, and you write what I have to say to these churches that I dearly love and care about. These churches, which tonight we're going to find out, he did dearly love and care about. I believe that he penned all of these because he loves and cares for you and I, because he ends every one of these with what? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This church that we're going to talk about tonight is a church in Laodicea. It had issues. It was a dead church, but it was more than a dead church. And Jesus had written letters to these six prior. Only two didn't have anything against them. Smyrna and Philadelphia. He just encouraged them. Hey, hang in there. Keep doing what you're doing. It would be fantastic if that was what happened. And last week, it, as if we were that church, but last week uh, in Philadelphia, we see how much God loves the church so much so that the church's relationship with their own community bled that love out. And I think that's a good example of how Church of the Island has been. I think we keep up the good work. I wanted to say a word of encouragement to you guys in that we're sitting below this pavilion that we ate crawfish under last week. It still needs work. But I believe that God planted this here just a couple years ago during COVID. He rallied the troops to, hey, I don't think this is a bad idea, but more than that, let's pray about this. And through ups and downs of whether, we were, whether it was going to happen or not, it didn't matter. The troops got closer together. So we're seeing prayers answered from across the country right now. We've been praying for Mike and Kathy Stockton, as Mike has been struggling with, and many others like them. But Harry told us in Life Group this morning that his brother, who was in a serious car accident just a few weeks ago, who should still be in the hospital in therapy, came home actually today as an answer, I believe, to prayer. From, I'm not sure if he's going to live or not, to coming home. As we continue to pray, I want you tonight to be mindful that what happened to the church in Laodicea could happen to the best of people. No matter how good of our, our intentions could ever be, we have the tendency, as I like to always say, I'm always one step away from stupid. I want to just dive in and read this passage to learn what we can learn from this church, this bad news church that had no letter of encouragement for it. So I'm going to invite you to stand in the reading of God's Word, and we are in Revelation chapter 3, and we're reading verse 14 through 22. And to the angel of the Lord in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need of nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness might not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. I believe we can glean some messages, some, some principles, if you will, from this, some insights. First of all, there's no commendation at all from this church. This church, the modern church, if you will. So think there's seven churches, and there's some people believe that there's a significance to why he put them in Scripture that way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And in chapter four, at the very beginning, right after this, you're seeing the rapture. So maybe these were just put in order. Uh, and this is the church of the last days. I would say that people have argued and shot holes in that because there are similarities in all churches, right? There are similarities all over the place of live and dead churches, and they have these same issues. But I believe that a lot of churches that we see look like this church in Laodicea in the last days. When are the last days? Technically, from when Christ went back to his father until now. So when he ascended into heaven, after he died on the cross for you and me, he comes back, spends some time, and he goes back to heaven. From that point forward, we have seen last days. When the Lord talks about his church, he knows everything about that church. So in this passage, you're gonna, we're going to break down what was actually happening in that culture in Laodicea. It was a part of a tri-cities area. It was Laodicea in the center, Hierapolis about six miles north and 11 miles south. There was Colossae. Hierapolis and Colossae both had different water systems. Hierapolis had warm, hot springs. So their water was mineral rich, but it wasn't very tasty. Laodicea had awful water, didn't taste good at all. And Colossae had was close to a mountain, so it had really cool, crisp, rocky mountain water. Only not rocky mountain, because it was in the Middle East. So in order for them to get fresh water, or good water, they tried to build this aqueduct system that came from both places. One is headed up, the other down. They have found remnants of that aqueduct system so full of minerals and it was so calcified that it shut down and they weren't able to get water anymore from that aqueduct. It just wouldn't work anymore after a while. So God starts this letter out. Jesus starts this letter out saying, you guys have kind of forgotten who I am. You're wealthy. You are creating all of this wool. You have enough money to get water from two other cities and don't have to move. They were like Beverly Hills, if you will, of that time, of the Middle East. 
the Lord speaks to them right out of the gate, and he says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the amen. What does that mean? The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He was saying, the amen is me. Jesus Christ is the amen. The amen means truth. If Scott yells out, he agrees with something, right? Where's Scott? See around here yelling out? There he is. Amen. When he yells out, he's yelling out truth. I believe in that. That is truth. Jesus is the way, the... Good job. Come on, one more time. That's better, Sarah. Good job. The way, the truth, and the life. And they had basically kicked him out of the church. So he's like, uh, I'm the amen. I'm here to talk to you. Not exa exactly... You guys are lukewarm. You have lost your passion for me. The church is lukewarm. You are lukewarm. I've lost you. You have been trying to get this water up here, which is cold, down here. And you've been water, trying to get this water, which is warm. Well, by the time the warm water gets there, it's not warm anymore. And it's still mineral. And by the time the cold water gets there, now it's lukewarm and tepid. So no matter how hard they try, there's not really a control system that they can get. And God comes in and says, of your water system. When you taste the water that you are so, you are so desperate to try and get, the fresh water you are trying to so desperately get used to be the spiritual life that you provided for your community, but it's no longer there because you've lost your spiritual fervor. You are lukewarm like your water. I want to spit you out the way you spit that mineral garbage-tasting water out. It hits them where they understand. Who in here knows that when God talks to you, he talks to you on your own terms where you hear him? He who has the ears... the let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In my quiet time, oftentimes I'll go, ooh, I did not want to hear that. I'd rather spit that out than have to do something with that. We don't know what happened to the people in this church, but we do know that at this point, it was not good. It was a warning. He was speaking to them on their terms. The water is yucky. You have basically lost your passion for your spiritual Lord. They're blah. They're not excited about Christ. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell can't come against it. This same church is built in Laodicea, and it's supposed to be all about Jesus, and they're like, well, it's okay. I guess he died for us. That's fantastic. But it's not really all about him anymore. How many people do you know it's not all about Jesus in their life, but they're going to register as a Christian in a census, or they're going to tell you, well, I'm a Christian, or I go to that church. Matt Carter said this, When is the last time that the cross of Jesus Christ moved you to tears? When you're lukewarm... You just don't care that much. You're not, you're, the worship is like, ah, it doesn't really do it for me much anymore. There's a game on at two, or there's other things that we have to do. 
If it's been a long time since the Spirit moved you to tears or emotion or what He has done for you, something's amiss. Something is wrong if the Spirit of the living God hasn't infected you and affected you enough right where you are that you don't look forward to going to worship with your brother or sister. When somebody says something that's convicting to you because they love and care about you, you're encouraged by that. You're lifted up by that. You want to do that for somebody else. You remember how much he gave up for you. I think the trouble is we forget from where we came from that I didn't deserve this salvation. But he woke me up when I was blind and couldn't see. We need to get that fervor back if we don't have it. And how do you do that? Well, he's your father. And he loves you. And he cares about you. So he's sending you a note to say, have you lost your passion? Well, just spend some time with me. Spend some more time with me. Remember where you've come from. If it's been a long time, something's wrong. And if it doesn't move your heart, something's wrong. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless. What? Toward Him. Not perfect, not i got to get right before I go to church, but I have a right mindset toward the Lord. Not I'm going to church because... I want to do these other things and show off or brag or whatever it is. Keeping up with the Joneses. Make a sale. You have done foolishly in this, for it is from now on you will have wars. If our hearts aren't blameless toward him, that's really all that matters. Can he look at you and say, you've lost your passion? I would say you're only one prayer away from forgiveness from that. Throughout this auditorium, he's searching for you. Not only is a lack of passion in the lukewarm, there's a lack of backbone for the Lord. We lose our background. We don't stand up for him. We become politically correct Christians. We lack the wherewithal to stand on things that are important things. Well, let's just not go crazy about all this. I don't want a bunch of people mad at me. I don't want them to think we're judging anyone. Those church people, I'm not going down there. They're all a bunch of hypocrites, right? There's nobody, no one righteous. No, not one. That's in here, out there, anywhere. No one is perfect. But we, when we ride the fence, when God says, pick a side, we've picked the wrong team. You may as well be on the other team. When Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, he tells young Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus, is about 100 miles away from Laodicea, he says, preach the word in chapter 4, verse 2. Be ready in season and out. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's what we're supposed to do. Timothy's a pastor. In our country, we are seeing people approved to be pastors that are way beyond infidelity. They are doing things that violate God's word. 
literally going against his word, arguing with his word, saying, this is outdated, we don't need it, I need spiritual leadership, but I want it to look like this. Woe to us if we do that. Woe to anyone that does that, because on my day of judgment, if I get hit by a truck, and that's happened before, but if I don't wake up, (laughs) and I stand before my father, he's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, or really? You knew better, you lost your passion, you lost your backbone, and you compromised what you knew was right, and now you're living deliberately in sin, and you're leading other people astray. Scripture goes so far to say those who teach will be judged more strictly. We get a loving word from the church in Philadelphia and then a heavy word here. Why do you think that's back to back? I think because we need both. I don't need somebody to tell me what I want to hear ever if they know that what I need to hear is loving. I need to hear some of the hardest things in that I've ever heard have been the best things I've ever heard. The gospel. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That's not easy to hear. There's a hell. There's a heaven. God made me. There's nothing wrong with me. You don't have any excuses. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know what happens is I watched in church people from different backgrounds not open this and give me advice, but they were saying, the psychologist that I go to told me this. The psychiatrist that I, told, that I go to told me this. If you do these other things then, but I've found that 100% of the time when I got right with God, it not only renewed my, my backbone, but it renewed my passion. And it renewed my passion for what? Two things. Him and others. When we focus on ourselves, we look for solutions to fix things that we can't fix without his help. As a matter of fact, he wants to use, he wants to use you to help fix me. That's pretty comforting. When it comes right down to it, how much we need each other. The church in Laodicea had a problem though. They had gotten lukewarm because they didn't need God. I want you to see the second point. The second point is the church will become proudly sufficient. Verse 17 says, For you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I don't need anything, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind. You're blind and naked, pitiable. Timothy, if you go back to 2 Timothy 4, Paul warned him right after he said, you need to preach the word, you need to stay on track. He says, for the time is coming when people won't endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. G. Campbell Morgan said, the worst form of blasphemy is not sexual immorality, it's not idolatry, it's not false teaching. The worst form of blasphemy is lukewarmness. How does that lukewarmness happen? Self-sufficiency. This city 
was wealthy. The wealthiest people I know have the hardest time receiving help. Have the hardest time realizing that they need God without figuring God out. If you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything, not realizing you're wretched. You can pay for teachers to teach you what you want and feel comfortable about where you are. Satan wants you to feel comfortable in your sin and die in it. And he doesn't care whether you're a believer or not. He wants to destroy this church and every other church around. He wants to destroy your family and rip it apart so he can redefine the family and make your kids believe them and not you. We live in a world where we have so much independence and money that rather than deal with the issues that we need to deal with, we go on vacation or move. We have too many ways out. The church will, in the last days, erroneously believe that it's doing well, and the reality is not good at all. If you asked the pastor in this day how the church was doing, here's what I believe he would have said. We're doing great. The music is great. People come from all over the place to hear me speak because I have short messages. Our facility is fantastic. Look at this. We don't have any debt. We are doing great. But Jesus said, you think you're rich. You've prospered. You don't need anything. Thomas Aquinas, I heard a story about him in the 1920s. He was meeting with the Pope, and when he met with him, the Pope just happened to be counting money. Thomas Aquinas looks at him, and he says, the Pope says, silver and gold, uh, it looks like we have plenty. Not like in the Bible, silver and gold have I none, but it looks like we have plenty. So Aquinas says, you know what? That's true, but we can't any longer say rise and walk, can we? We think that we have plenty when we have stuff. When we have silver and gold, when our zeal is for accomplishment or things, or we have our eyes on a prize. I'm not saying that money isn't important because without it, these fans don't work. Without it, this pavilion doesn't get built. But if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, what are we worried about? I just have to be obedient to what he asked me to give. And then arm in arm, we walk together in unity, not uniformity, and do what he asks us to do. And I can look and go, I need a drummer, I need a teacher, and we all do our part, and then we can be arm in arm like a mosaic all the way to heaven. They tragically think they're doing well just because there's money in the bank. So Jesus calls him out. In Revelation 3.20, I just looked down a couple of verses. He, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We often think, this is, this is often a verse for church people, for non-church people, right? We forget that this is a verse for 
a lost church. This is a verse for a body of believers who locked Jesus out at the door. He was outside knocking, saying, I'll be here anytime you want, but apparently you don't need me. General William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said the chief danger of the 20, 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. We can't have our cake and eat it too. He wants us to have nothing but cake, <laughs> but we would have none of it. The peace that he promises us, we would have none of. Because we leave him at the door. Christianity without Christ is no Christianity at all. I think the trouble is that when you allow the world's standards to, say what, uh, to speak against the scripture in God's house, it's over. This is God's standards that are supposed to exit the church and save people. I used to be out there. I used to need God. When he came to me, it changed my life. True or false? That's your testimony. If you can't give it, you need to know it. There was a guy that was in our church for many, many years who went on a mission trip only to realize he had no testimony until he tried to share it. And then he was saved. The church in Laodicea needed to realize that God met them already. And there were people in there that knew him, but were doing nothing with the gospel at all. It was so watered down that all they talked about was issues. And what do you think about this? And I'll go to that church if it... There's one church and no Jesus. They operate without the Lord. How can we know that this is true, that churches could possibly operate without the Lord? Look at Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That is not an easy verse to read, even if you are a believer. That makes me think, does my mom really know? Does my brother really know? What kind of testimony do I really have in my own community, in my block, with people that I love and care about? If Jesus himself said most people are going to be on a wide road that leads to destruction, I must be careful what the information on the wide road says and weigh it against the word of our living God, who penned this for us so that we could tell the difference and give us discernment. He said this concerning judgment and the day of judgment. In verse 21 of 23, the same chapter 7 in Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not the one who says that he knows me, but the one who does my will. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You guys had church. You locked me out. 
you had church and you locked me out. I would ask you, do you want to lock Christ out of your life? Where do you want to be when you wake up after you get hit by a truck? Because it could be tomorrow morning. It could be because I know a lot of my friends that I loved and cared for don't have the other chance. And there are many people that I had an opportunity to share with that turned me away and were gone within a month. Point number three. The church in the latter days is not only self-sufficient, lukewarm, but they're desperately needy. Verse 18 and 19 say, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. God is saying, you're buying from the wrong people. You've got all this great wool and you're selling and you're doing great business, but you're buying the wrong stuff that's not feeding you. That you might be rich. White garments that you might close yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. There's not anyone in that community that did not know that they were useless as a church. They're all the same. It was another country club to go to, to belong to, to eat bean dip and chicken at. I don't want another country club. I want, I want the God of the universe speaking in my life. I want to be changed tomorrow. And again the next day and the next day. I don't want to go backwards ever again. It hurts too bad. There's too much healing that's taking place. And you look around and you see how much healing needs to take place with people who are where you were. And our heart ought to be going out to them. But in reality, it closes it off going, I'm good. And that is horrible. It's as if I'm saying, go to hell. I don't care. I counsel you to buy the right stuff. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. They were known for their riches. Buy white garments from me that you can clothe yourself. They were known for these flashy, nice, thick, woolen garments that would keep you warm. They weren't just selling fish. They were known to sell eye salve for their eyes that was healing. That if someone was sick, they, they were the only place that you could go to get healing for your eyes. You guys are so proud of yourself because of your money, but you're spiritually poor. You're wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind. And at verse 18, he says, buy from me, and then and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. This was their biggest problem of all. I once was blind, but now I see. Does anybody ever feel that way? Or am I the only one? I was given a gift of that song that I keep to remind me of what being blind looks like. If you don't know that you're wrong, you don't know that you're wrong. 
But when you become a child of the living God and he convicts you of your sin and you turn from that sin and you receive intercession with his spirit and your life does more than change. You see miracle after miracle that happen over time and time again. That you can share those stories. We as believers ought to, as we're locking arm in arm and encouraging one another and rebuking and all that fun stuff, we ought to be growing together out of love. I'm not telling you anything bad so that I can knock you down and be superior. I'm doing it because I love you. Please, I miss you. Stop doing that. They couldn't see. They needed a spiritual perception. They were so focused on their physical eyes and their physical comforts that they had no spiritual needs being met and couldn't even tell. They had to hold a form of godliness, although they denied the power of God. It's a picture of Samson. He was a superman. He could beat a thousand guys with the jawbone of a donkey. And then he tells Delilah that the secret to my strength is my hair. She cuts it in his sleep. And here's what he says when he wakes up. In Judges 16.20, he says, I'm going to go out just like I did all those other times. I'm going to shake myself free. And he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. I'm going to go out and shake myself off as I did all those other times, but he didn't know that he was on thin ice and the whole thing was going to fall down. When he woke up from that nap, for a Christian, God doesn't ever remove his spirit. You cannot lose your salvation. You are sealed with the holy promise of his spirit until the day of salvation when we go to be home with him. But we can lose the anointing of God and we can lose his favor. And I do not want that to happen to me. I do not want that to happen to any of you. And I don't think if you looked in the mirror you would willingly say, I would be willing to lose the favor of God if I could just enjoy this part of my life. When it comes right down to it, we want God's anointing. We want God's favor. We want God's peace. We want all the things that God promises us. We're just not always willing to hang on to the fellowship through the process because Samson was set apart. All he had to do was... What he knew she wasn't supposed to do, but instead he loved her so much and he was so stuck in his sin that he was blind to God's presence leaving. And God hadn't left him yet. So he had this false sense of confidence that I can just keep trudging on in my sin. You don't know when the trudging is going to stop. It could be fine today, but tomorrow it could stop. If you're in the midst of that, do a quick personal inventory and say, I want it to stop today and I give my life back to you, Lord. Forgive me. You're always one prayer away from repentance. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. 
So be zealous and repent. The church finally will need to humbly repent and get right. He tells us exactly what we need to do. God loves every person in this room. The trouble is, we look at somebody else's sin and we spot it easily because it's the easiest one to see. We say, sin in others I can see, but praise the Lord, there's none in me. How you doing? I'm doing great. That is the first sign that we're in trouble. We need to deal with that. We need to pray and learn how to pray like David prayed. In Psalm 139, 23 to 24, David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way, grievous way, in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David didn't trust himself. And a man after God's own heart that we look back at and know that he couldn't be trusted. He had problems with girls and lust and all kinds of things. But whenever he was confronted after he was blind and the Lord left his presence, it didn't matter what punishment came upon him, he would just say, I'm ready to start over no matter what the cost. I don't know what my life's going to look like from here on out, but it doesn't matter. I'm yours. Please have mercy on me. There's something real about, about the guy who Jesus talked about in church who beat his chest and said, I don't deserve any forgiveness at all. Those church people over there were saying, Oh, Lord, thank the Lord that I'm not like him. We went to visit this week. Um, we took a quick trip to Dallas for a graduation ceremony. I have a goddaughter there. And we began to talk just about how different it is that my the good friend is a chemical engineer, and he's lived in many different places. And in Dallas, there's this, there's lots and lots of money. And he began to tell me how difficult it was to make good, close friendships with people, in his line of work even, because of the worry about where I am on this spectrum of status. How can we be that way at 70 years old, at 50 years old, at 40, at 30? I'll tell you, if you can be that way at 30, it's going to be worse when you're 50. If you haven't connected with your identity in him along the way. The world says keep up with our standards because they're all that satisfies you only live once. And God says, life is short, and I made you for my glory. Pray continually. Be joyful always. When you've been given your talents, some of you have been given one talent. You're doing good with it. Maybe you got two. Some of you have been given five talents. You're doing good with it. Maybe you got ten. Some of you have been given 20 talents. You, give, you made... Two more talents. Some of you have been given two talents. You lost a talent. You're burying it in the sand. 
I want my Lord to say, well done, David. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But I don't have to wait until I get to heaven for him to say that when I'm right in fellowship with him today. So when we look across our church, we look at people on equal footing at the foot of the cross. So that when we go to a place like Dallas, we can see this was what was cool about this. Had to return a rental car, and there was a mess of paperwork that went wrong. They had screwed up the whole. But my buddy, who rents cars all the time, was seen outside in the parking lot by the guy who was working at the rental car place. So the guy saw me on the phone, and he sees my buddy, and he goes, Hey, y'all come in here. He fixed everything like that, and he said, you owe him lunch. We, we get in the car to go back to Matt's house, and the reason that he forgave, that he fixed everything like that, my friend lost his dad just a couple years ago. That guy last year lost his dad and Matt was there for him. He's been going to church on a regular basis where he hasn't for years. Trying to get right. Back in fellowship. You're going to run into somebody at the Circle K down here who's lost someone. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they're struggling with. There might be somebody sitting right by you that you don't know. That might have been rude to you because they're hurt inside. And the church of Laodicea, all they could do was give them some money. There was no spiritual hope for them. Where are you in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to religion and relationship. Because that's all that matters. It's all that matters now, and it's all that matters when the rapture comes, or it's all that matters when you go home in your time. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. I'm going to have the band come back up. I'm going to pray for us in a second. They're going to play a song, and I just want you to pray and worship where you are. If you don't know Christ, I want to share the gospel with you. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, I, I love you, church. This is why we're having this conversation. For God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And when you believe in Jesus, and it changes you, it changes what we do. All you have to do, it's not magic, but you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what scripture says. If you don't know him, pray a simple prayer like this. Lord, I don't know you, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I'm a sinner and I want eternal life through Jesus. 
I turn, I choose to turn from my sin today and turn to you. Maybe you're just blah in your faith right now. Meh. Maybe it's just going to church and checking a box and then going to soccer and checking a box and going on vacation and checking a box and going to work and checking a box. God wants you to have, Jesus said, abundant life. Not check box life, but abundant life. Jesus said, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy that you might have a blah life. I want you to have abundant life. If you want abundant life, pray. Lord, why am I not? I turn back to you. I want to give you my all, my 100%. I turn back to you. Even if I'm the only person in the whole church of Laodicea. I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I care what you think. I want to be right with you. You can pray where you are. You can come down here. I'll be standing at the front. Let's just spend a few minutes worshiping and praying before we leave.